You're listening to the PK Experience Podcast, where I tap into the minds of today's impact players. These are people who are making an impact and a positive change for the world so that you can learn from them, get inspired by them, and make a greater impact yourself. My name is Peter King. I'm the host of the show, and my guest today is David Ratchford. David is a Navy veteran and now yoga teacher, and his story is quite unique and inspirational. I wanted to share it with you. Uh, He had a very rough childhood growing up, got into team sports, ultimately dropped out of high school, um, became a junior college dropout twice ended up joining the Navy, and that's where it was there that he suffered a debilitating injury and became addicted to prescription drugs. Um, the only thing that really saved him from that was the practice of yoga. And so very interesting story, a very inspirational story. I learned a lot from this conversation. Um, David is now also the creator of a, a yoga mat called Combat Mat, which is a premium natural yoga mat which he's going to share with you a little bit more on the call today as well. But his story, again, is very fascinating, and I find his energy and enthusiasm infectious, and it was a great pleasure to talk to him. So uh, it is my pleasure now to share this conversation with you. Here I am with David Ratchford. All right, I'm here with Dave Ratchford. How are you doing, Dave? I'm doing fantastic. Awesome, awesome. I, uh, I've uh, been taking a look at some of your stuff. You've got quite an interesting story to share. Uh, yeah, thanks, man. I'm I'm glad to be on here. I've I've listened to a few of your podcasts and and just wow, the the caliber of of guests that you have on your show is amazing. So hopefully, I'll be able to deliver some value here, and we'll get some people excited about some of the things that and experiences that I've experienced in my life. No doubt. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, you uh, so in some we don't know each other all too well, but we we sort of run in similar circles, and uh, it's come up to me. So you've been. Um, well, you've, you've done a lot of stuff. You've been through quite a bunch of things. And so I'd love to share a little bit of your story with my audience. And so if you're willing to kind of just let people know where you were and what your upbringing was like, I think that's a really interesting uh, uh, tone to set that compares to where you're at now and and how you've been able to, to get there in your journey. Yeah. So, so, just like a lot of people have experienced in their life, nobody has a perfect home life. Everybody's family is dysfunctional to some degree or another. And um, the long story short is at the age of about 12, my parents divorced, you know, and um, that's not untypical. I mean, today's half of marriages end in, in divorce and that gives some kids some challenges. Um, what's not typical is that the level of trauma that, that we experience. And so when I was about 12 or 13, I'll just get right into it. My mom was, um, a, she had a fight with her boyfriend at the bar, decided to walk home. On her way home, she was abducted, gang raped, beaten, and left for dead. Damn, and wow. so like as a 12, 13-year-old kid, she comes home and, you know, we learned that this has happened to her and man, my world is pretty rocked, you know, and I don't really know what's going on other than that, you know, this didn't happen to my friend's moms. You yeah. know, they had a stable home life, you know, maybe their parents drank a little bit too much um, or got a little tight and yelled, but this is the kind of thing that I was experienced with. So like number one, I was angry, man. I was angry at so many things. I was angry that, you know, my parents weren't together. I was angry that um, my mom was dating a shitty guy that caused fights. I was angry at uh, the people that 
did this horrible thing to my mom. I was angry at the cops for not following up and arresting people and bringing them to justice, right? So all of this is going on in my adolescent brain. And man, I just got to say that for a lot of my life, rage ruled my life. Mm. Like, and so there's a, and what happens is when you're consumed with hate, you know, there's an expression that says anger is the, um, anger is a poison to the vessel that holds it. Have you ever heard something like that? Uh, um, um, the sentiment, yes, but I haven't yeah. heard it said in that way. That's, I, yeah. I, I think it may be more accurately, anger is a poison that hurts the vessel that holds it. Mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, but, but true, I mean, we all have reasons to be angry. And what happens is we end up taking that out in self-destructive ways. Mm-hmm. So um, self-destructive ways such as addiction, alcohol, you know, violence of yourself or self-sabotaging behaviors. And all of that stuff I did, despite being a pretty good kid, you know, I was a pretty good kid. I had a paper route. You know, I worked hard. Um, and then... Um, Eventually, I got into athletics, and that was just what I poured all my energy into. I, you know, I, I used every opportunity I could to get out of the house and train with my coaches, mm-hmm. uh, be that in water polo, soccer, and swimming. And so I, I did pretty good in high school sports, but eventually that kind of caught up with me again, that self-destructive pattern where I spiked my progress. You know, I got bored with school, and I dropped out of high school tried to bounce around to junior college, um, went to junior college for a bit, failed out twice. I mean, you got to work hard to fail out of junior college, my friend. <laughs> you got to really apply yourself. Yeah, that's not, it's just not handed to you. You got you to really work that. <laughs> yeah. And then um, eventually I, I realized I'd, I had heard about um, some military options and I thought, you know, I really, I was still consumed by anger. I wanted to go make the bad guys pay. I believe that there were victims in the world, you know, people that were doing bad things for um, going out and taking advantage of those who couldn't defend themselves. And I thought, I'll go into the military and help those that can't uh, help themselves. You know, I'll fight for justice and do all of that. So that's what I did. I joined the military. And um, enjoyed the military, loved the structure, did well, progressed fast. Um, and, um, you know, eventually I ended up getting hurt from the military, which ended my military career. So then at 23, there I was washed up um, with a dash dream, you know, and that happens to a lot of people, man. Um, you know, especially when you look at the wounded warriors coming back from Afghanistan or Iraq, um, we come back. We wanted to make a difference, and now we're what we're, we're told we're broken. Right. You know, um, we've got physical injuries, um, perhaps some uh, mental stresses, uh, you know, post-traumatic stress um, that is causing us some integration problems, uh, which generally comes into that self-destructive pattern where we medicate. You know, we're told, "Hey, you're broken." Um, we're told or taught to become victims of the system. You know, a lot of people can't get things going because they're waiting on the Veterans Administration, you know. And I was lucky that um, my parents had uh, set aside some money for college, so I was able to go to school while I waited for my funds um, and all of that to come through. So I just went to school and did that. Uh, But again, you know, I treated my college as as an extended vacation. I figured after 
couple summers in the Persian Gulf and Somalia, I was ready to uh, enjoy what Santa Barbara has to offer, which is beaches, blondes, and beer. Right. And so I did that um, and did okay. I managed to graduate. Um, and um, yeah, that's, that took me out of college. I eventually became a CPA, did that for about 10 years. Um, and then through life, I decided to, uh, that I was t tired of chasing my dad's dream for me, which uh. was security and, and status, and just decided, no, I'm going to do something for me, which is to heal and to uh, help people find um, freedom in their lives. Yeah. Okay, that, that, was, that was a really effective like, overview of the whole journey. Um, there's so many things I wanted to, to sort of stop you and ask you about, but yeah. it's good to get a, the, the big picture on that. Um, you said you got wounded or you got hurt. Was that in, in uh, theater? I got was hurt in a training accident. Yeah. Okay. So, I, so I was a firefighter on an aircraft carrier and um, during a drill, I was picking up some equipment, ruptured a couple of discs in my back, my legs collapsed and that was it. So I had, I've been dealing, I had back injuries that had plagued me for years and years and years. That's, that was the injury. Gotcha. What, what was life like on an aircraft carrier? Um, let's see. I, I will say it was the best of times and the worst of times. It was mostly boring. Uh, really what you do on inactive duty is you stand watch, which means um, you watch over systems. Um, you do a lot of maintenance and repair and you drill, drill, drill. You practice. Mm, right. Um, and um, the, uh, what military training is really designed to do, in my opinion, in my experience, is it's designed to create muscle memory. So when things happen, which they eventually do, um, your response, um, not reaction, your response is to do what you're trained to do. Uh, for example, in firefighting or, or shipboard firefighting, uh, which is quite different than shore or land firefighting or building firefighting, um, the, uh, when an incident occurs, they tell you where it is and you're trained to run there and do your job. <laughs> you know, with minimal protection, you just have to get in as quickly as possible. Um, and um, yeah, so that's, you put on the bare minimum amount of protective gear and go in and attack it because the shipboard environment is so dangerous um, due to the amount of fuel and um, accelerants that are around um, and also any uh, explosive devices. You know, if there's a, yeah, a my goodness, like I would think fighting fires would be difficult enough. There'd be enough pressure, but the fact that you're sitting essentially on a, ticking time bomb number one and number two like the 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 ground under your feet if that goes away you're screwed like yeah i, I can't even begin to imagine the the pressure that you'd have to, well you know ships these days are all built out of steel so um you know the metal's not going to burn but the paint burns and then the fuel burns um and also anything that's rubber or cardboard or anything else you know all that burns really quick right um, so and you think of it you know like a if you've ever been on a military vessel there's um cables and and stuff going all throughout the overheads of um the passageways cables are usually shielded in in metal but beneath that there's rubber or vinyl um you know and that all burns really quickly um and then there are piping systems some which contain water many contain fuel <clears throat> because you're they've got um to pump fuel from the bottom underneath the ship up to the aircraft um for refueling um, and then, of course, there's all kinds of ammunition, um, munitions that can, in the case of a plane crash, 
um, you know, then these things have been damaged and they're sitting in a bed of, uh, of fuel that's on yeah. fire, you know, so like it's pretty imperative that you get things put out pretty quickly. Did you? And, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so yeah, and that's what you train to do. You just train to immediately react or respond with um, going to where you need to go and getting your team together and getting in on that fire. Right. Did you have to put out a lot of fires? Was that a common uh, thing? Not a lot, but enough to, um, to bring sporadic sprinklings of um, interest and excitement. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not uncommon for a deployment to have a couple of crashes. Um, we had a couple of flight deck crashes. Um, interestingly enough, the, the time when it's really scary or more dangerous, um, and I hate to say the, the more complex or the more dangerous fires to put out are the ones that happen in port where you've got most of the ship away for the evening and then something happens in a storeroom in an area far away with a team that um, might be assigned to the fire party because um, well you know like all the departments need to send somebody and so they assigned somebody that's been bad to the fire party because um, it's kind of like a, a punitive punishment, you know, like, because <laughs> what's going to happen is sometime during the evening, they're going to do a fire drill at 10 o'clock at night and that's going to interrupt your sleep or, you know, it, it always happens. That's just how, you know, ship life is. And um, so you've got some people that are, are like excited to do it. Like, hey, this is my time to play firefighter. I always wanted to do that. But some of them are like, hey, um, don't want to be there. So they get a little extra duty. Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, there, we had a fire in a chemical storeroom once when I was on uh, duty in, in, in the, uh, during a repair period. And, and that was pretty horrific because um, – the power goes down, it's dark, um, and it's in an area where you might not be really familiar where things are. We had a fire in a chemical storeroom. And so you've got boxes of chemicals that are on fire. When the, when the boxes burn, they burn the plastic containers of the acids and um, you know, um, corrosives. Mm. Then those all spill down into the floor. And then so you're wading through like a toxic goop. Oh. You know, and then, um, and the, the other thing that's scary about shipboard firefighting, besides the lack of, um, of, of light, you know, you're in, in these very dark passageways, is every time you put water on a metal surface, it turns to steam. The steam condensates over the overhead and it rains boiling water down you, down Ooh. your back. So it's wow. like, it's, it can be an, <laughs> an intense experience. Yeah. And then if it's combined with all those chemicals, Right. Yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, yeah so, so you, are, you're wearing, uh, yeah, you wear a or something? yeah, you wear a respirator. Um, what, what we call an oxygen breathing apparatus. Um, right. yeah, but in the meantime, you know, you're splashing around in chemicals and, and from that I got second and third degree chemical burns all over my feet and legs. Oh, so, man. Yeah. So that was kind of nasty. <laughs> it was nasty. It was nasty for a while. So, um, you said that you, there it was fairly common to have a couple of crashes per Per, uh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how common it is now with the improved avionics and training, yeah. but, um, on our deployment, I think we had, um, we had, I think we had one crash in workups going up to it. Um, and then one crash on the deployment. Um, I'm trying to think here. 
yeah, I know that, yeah, that, that we had somebody, uh, a pilot die and, and crash his plane into the ship. Wow. That's intense, man. That, that, um, is just part of daily life though, huh? Being on, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And what's amazing about that is just to show you the precision and how, how ready everything is. Um, so I, on that incident where we had a plane crash into the fantail, um, so imagine, you know, you, there are maybe 15 planes of, a, uh, of an air wing, um, a detachment that, is, that are up doing maneuvers, flying around, doing their thing. Mm-hmm. And so they go out and do that for, you know, an hour and a half or two hours, whatever their cycle is, based on the plane and how much fuel they have. And um, in this incident, the first plane that was due to come in crashed on the fantail. So you've got maybe 10 or 12 other planes of this guy, um, of this guy's detachment that just watched their brother crash and burn. Oh man. And so he's the first of say 12 or 15 that are, you know, coming into land. Um, and they usually only come into land when they're getting low on fuel. So you've got, you know, 12 or 13 other planes up there circling around low on fuel. Well, when that happened, Within 90 seconds, we had, the, we had the, uh, the flight deck fire out, we had the deck cleared, and had launched a, uh, a tanker to go and resupply all the other planes. 90 seconds. Yep. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. So, and they usually have a, a ready tanker ready wow. to launch just for that reason. That reason. You know, we've, we've learned a few things. How, I mean, how do you... And the average age of of uh, sailor and, and uh, of sailor airmen uh, firemen on that on that ship is about twenty years old. I, I can't even begin to imagine. Well, what about the pilots? Are they a little bit older? Oh yeah, yeah, they're usually a little bit older, probably twenty five or twenty nine. I mean, like I'm just thinking psychologically. Like you said, you just watch your brother die. You've got to be able to have enough wherewithal to you know not be another crash, like to land right. your plane yeah. in a matter of minutes, probably. Um, is there training for that? Is there support yeah, for that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I mean, there's just training and it's drill, 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 training, 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 drill, drill, but drill. Is, drill. But, is, but is the training, um, you know, I'm talking about managing that mental mind field. Like, is there, is there training to deal with how do you, how do you cope with the, the, the trauma that you're dealing with? Um, well, In the it's, moment? Just, it's really just practice. You know, it's like the next job at hand. What's the next thing to do? You know, what's the next thing to do when this happens? What's the next thing to do? Okay. Right. You're next up. Got to get fuel. You're next up. Talk to the officer. Is the deck clear? You know? So it's like, you're just going through a check checklist of the next thing to do. Got it. You, I yeah. get it to the point where it's sort of second nature such that yeah. even, and, you're and that's exactly what military okay. training is about. You know, it's like, okay, yeah you know, Oh, that just happened. Okay. Now what? Yeah. I've often heard, um, military veterans say when they're dealing with crazy stuff like that, that, you know, the quote unquote, the training took over and it's yeah. almost like they just go into yeah. second nature. Right. Well, that's what you want is, is autopilot, you know, when this, then that. Yeah. Right. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Things, things that the average citizen doesn't really think about, you know, yeah. um, I'm just taking a moment to kind of put that into to process that. Cause you know, we go about our daily lives and you know, my frustration is that 
you know, Trader Joe's is closing earlier than I thought it was. Like that's my big trauma, you know? Yeah. So I have to like compare that with, with daily life on, on an aircraft carrier. Yeah. So, so here's, here's how that might apply to you to real life. Okay. So, um, to, and I'll just tie it back into my youth. And this is a, a lesson that I learned, um, in swimming. Um, uh, probably the, the, the thing I'm most proudest about in like athletics was that my last year in competitive swimming, um, I was awarded the most dedicated swimmer, um, uh, you know, award. And it was a made up award that my coach gave me, you know, not for having the fastest time, not for being whatever, but just because I showed up, I was always there for practice on time. If practice started at 6am, I was at the gate at six or at five fifty-five. you know, and I had every single practice. I made every single effort to, you know, if practice ended at four o'clock, I would stay for, um, if I could, I could, I would stay for 15 more minutes and practice a little bit more. Um, and, um, and you know, that was just something that you can do. You can show up, you know, and do the training, um, and do it mindfully in a way that, um, that matters where you can actually get better. Um, so the first habit is really just showing up, you know, what is it that you really need to just show up for and do the reps, and then once you get the reps down, you're like, okay, I'm good. Now let's refine the technique. Now let's be more intentional about what I want to create happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just did this this summer. It was kind of funny. So I live in Santa Barbara, um, which is a beach community. And um, we've got in, in 10 miles, I've got 10 beaches I can go to. The closest being about two miles away. And I've lived here for 20 plus years, not counting college. And I'd been in the ocean swimming uh, only a handful of times Mm. from a former swimmer guy. Right. (laughs) And, and I got, and the other, and it was on July 4th this year, um, my dad came up and we were, we were fishing from the pier. And I saw, um, I saw a, a trio of swimmers swim out to the buoys, which are about 200 yards off the, off the pier, swim this line of buoys all the way down and then all the way back and then back in. And it turns out that's about a mile swim. And I thought, you know, there was a time when I could swim a mile. I bet I can't swim a mile now. Mm. I'm like, and that looks nice, you know, and they were all in wetsuits and I'm thinking, you know, I shouldn't be such a wimp about getting in the water. And the water here is about 65 degrees, not really warm, you know, (laughs) and, but it's not super cold anyway. You're not going to get hypothermia in it. And I thought, fuck it. I am going to get out and I'm going to swim. And, and I'm good at like creating these little challenges for myself. I said, I'm going to swim every day for a month and see what happens. See Mm -hmm. what opens up for me. Mm-hmm. And so I did it just like, and the rule was get in the, get in the water, get submerged, swim for 10 minutes, you know, enough that it's not like you're just in and out. Like, okay, I'm wet. I'm good. Like you have to get in, relax in the water. So like after it hits your balls and sucks those up into your stomach, you're like, <laughs> you know, like, okay, now I'm here. And, you know, I, I don't know if you've heard of like Wim Hof and the Iceman and sure. that, you know, everyone's doing these ice baths and all that kind of stuff. I, I don't need to go that extreme. I'm just like, get in, swim. And I did it after 30 days. Like, it's no problem. Now I can get in. I can swim for a mile or whatever. Um, 
but it's like doing the reps and just saying, okay, now I've got nothing to fear about going in the water at any time. And, and it's opened up like a whole new thing for me, which is like where I used to be, look at it and say, oh, I've got, I've got a story about how it's cold. We've got tar all over our beaches. I don't want to get tar on my feet and have to spend 15 minutes cleaning my feet, you know, and all, all these things that are just like mild pain in the ass things about it. I'm like, all right, well, I got that done. You know, now this is a new thing for me. And on weekends, now I can go for a swim instead of going for a run if it's hot, you know, just yeah. having, having a new, a new thing that's open to me. I love that. I love that. I, you know, one of the things that the story that I tell myself with stuff like that is the beginning stage just sucks. Like I hate, I, I, you know, I wish there was a, a fast track to just being fairly decent or good at something. I, I've been, uh, I've had art in my background and I've been wanting to get back into that. And part of my hesitation, the little story I was telling myself was like, I'm going to go through a lot of canvases and paint where it's just shitty. It's just like, yeah. you know, and it's frustrating for me. And so, but I just cracked it open yesterday and started to do some things and I could, I did two paintings and I could already see like in the second one, I'm like, Hey, this isn't horrible. This is, and it was, the first one was absolutely horrible, but I also knew like, I got to go through that. The suck. I got to go through the, somebody said to me one time, there is no avoiding being a beginner. And mm. not that I'm a beginner in art. Cause I, I have studied it and, and done it in school and stuff, but uh, it's been a while. It's been a long time. And so I'm, I'm kind of back in that beginning stage. So yeah, well, and and to to bring it back to art, you know, I don't know the number, the sheer stats, but I've 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 heard some stories about, for example, Picasso, and you look at how many pieces that he created that were considered masterful, and then the sheer volume of pieces that he created in his life work. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it really, it's probably one percent that are masterful, mm -hmm. and you know, there's 10 or a hundred times that of other stuff that he just pumped out that was like maybe garbage, but it's kind of excavating, um, digging out the shit so you can really kind of find those little nuggets of gold. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. So was he not producing, you know, expert caliber stuff every time well, well, by at, the end of his yeah, career? Yeah. Study, study about his output. Um, and also study, you know, any artist and the amount of work that they created to get to that master's status. But, you know, he had different periods too, where, you know, um, whether it be by color or style that he was kind of creating, hmm. um, that there are a lot of stuff that might not embody the essence of that style that he had to get out in order to get to it. Hmm. You know? um, just like, you know, in, in anything, um, a lot of times it's, it's not the, it's not doing 10 podcasts that are going to get out the, the great one that you do. It might be the 40th or it might be 10 minutes of this that really lights up somebody else, you know, um, and changes their lives. Yeah. I actually, I really appreciate that. Cause that's part of, that's something that I've been thinking a lot about with this pod, with my podcast in particular is, you know, like you said, getting the reps in learning every little time, you know, every little episode, having some type of takeaway or learning, trying to make it better and better and better. Um, it, it's, uh, it's something that for, so, so for me, like the whole intention of this podcast is to talk to and amplify and encourage what I call impact players, people that are making an impact and or intending to make an impact. Um, 
And I find that that personality type is often perfect, you know, they're perfectionists because it's an art and they're trying to craft the perfect masterpiece. And uh, for a long time, I was doing that. I had the intention of doing a podcast and kept putting it off for whatever stupid story I was telling myself at the time. And it wasn't until a friend of mine kind of literally beat me over the head and said, dude, stop making excuses, get the damn thing up and out. And I was like, you know what? You're right. And every time I put one out, there's always a part of me that's kind of like, "Ah, I wish I'd asked that question or I wish I'd done this a little bit better or whatever. But it's in the, it's in the habit of perpetually getting content out that I'm starting to see obviously the growth. Uh, You know, I'll listen to an earlier podcast and I just cringe. Whereas, you know, now it's, it's more comfortable and yeah, let me let me share with something um, that my friend Shannon Graham shared. And uh, Shannon Graham is an, a name you should have on your podcast. He says okay. that n- those who need your help continue to suffer while you selfishly debate and hesitate. It's he says those who need your help continue to suffer while you selfishly debate mm. and hesitate. Right. And then he goes on to say, it's not about you. You're called to something bigger than your own self-doubt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, right? that makes so sense. It's like getting out of your own way. Yes, totally. God. It's so hard sometimes as a, when you're doing, when you're looking, when you're seeking to make an impact, it's really an artist energy. Like I'm you're, right. you're wanting to serve and help and, and lift up. And it's, it's odd to me how sometimes I'll put stuff out there that, seems like just an offhand idea or thought or whatever. And then it'll, it'll get a lot of response or a lot of engagement. And other times I'm like, I nailed it like that. I felt really good about it. And it's crickets. <laughs> it's, yeah. And it's hard sometimes yeah. to see yourself in order to get yourself out of the way. Yeah. I, have you, have you mitigated that before? Um, I, it's a constant process. It's a right. con- constant excavation. So one thing I do know, self-destructive behavior is holding yourself back, Right. It's self-destructive to hold yourself back. Right. Self-constructive behavior is speaking your truth, getting it out. Yes. Yeah. So self-constructive behavior. And, that, and I came upon this idea in a walk. I think it was on Monday. I was just out walking, doing my thing. You know, um, <laughs> Part of my health practice is I try to take a walk every day. Um, aim for an hour. Sometimes I go 40 minutes, but, you know, somewhere between three to four miles. And um, I was just out there and I was thinking like, man, this is, this is a good behavior for me today, you know, and, and I've been doing this for years, right? Like my health is good. Um, this is the kind of health that I want to build because I believe that, yes, in doing hard things, in doing um, lifting weights, doing a hard yoga practice, but also doing like regular health practices too, that I think that a lot of people just ignore the health practices and always are going after the fitness and the extreme shit. And that's Mm. how you get injured and on a DL. And having been there for many years, I don't want to do that or I want to do that less, you know, if Mm. that makes sense. I was thinking, yeah, so what are the self-constructive behaviors that I'm doing? Okay, I'm asking good questions. I'm, and that's one of my strong points is, is that like I got, so one of the practices I'm committed to is the practice of inquiry. And by the way, the reason why I'm so fired up and, and appreciative to be here today is because someone's life is going to change today. Um, whether it's yours, mine, by something I get from something you say, or just a, a thought that's triggered, someone's life is going to change from listening to this podcast. 
I love that. And, and I'm going to save somebody's life today. So as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to go give blood, which is probably going to save somebody's life or contribute to saving somebody's life. Little mm. things that we can do to make a difference, mm. you know, whether it's being positive, being that light, sending the text to somebody that says, you know what, I was thinking about you and you're just a light. You're a good person to hang out with. I enjoy you. Um, that's all important just to keep that energy out there. Um, but so getting back to the inquiry practice. So as I, I told you the story, anger and rage ruled my life, you know. Um, eventually, it was a physical therapist. I was sitting on um, or laying on the floor in um, the Westwood VA Regional Medical Center doing some PT. And I, and I leveled with a PT, um, with a physical therapist. I said, you know, this stretch, I think I've seen it in yoga. Is this yoga? And she said, yeah, basically. And I said, you know, I got to level with you. I'm not doing my PT 20 minutes a day, twice or 20 minutes, um, twice a day. Like you're saying, um, is yoga, I should be something I should be doing. And she said, you know, if that'll get you doing the work, yeah, it would be a good idea. Go to a yoga class. Mm -hmm. And that comment was all the thing I, that was the only license I needed to like, at the time I was single and I thought, well, I'm a big guy. I'm a, I'm a military guy. I'm single. A lot of affluent housewives going to yoga class. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then I found a group on, it was only 40 bucks for a month. And I'm like, I can, I can do 40 for a month. <laughs> and if I go 20 times, that means each visit's two bucks a visit, you know? And so I went with that commitment, you know, again, that, that like show up, do the reps. Mm -hmm. And in 20 months um, or 20, uh, 20 visits, I had lost 10 pounds. I had could touch my toes and I thought I'll keep at it. You know, to be honest, after the first 30 seconds of that class, I didn't think about the attractive suburban housewives. Um, I was thinking, well, in about 30 seconds, I said, oh, shit, this is real. And something's happening in my body. And something mm -hmm. was starting to heal, like just mm -hmm. immediately. Um, and I believe that, that yoga is a practice that, will, that through movement and sweat, it leads us back to healing. We've got a lot of things to heal in our bodies always. Yeah. Um, it minimizes inflammation. I can get into all that stuff later. But um, that eventually the practice of yoga led me back to inquiry where I began to ask certain questions like, okay, well, now it's apparent that anger is what led you into the military, okay? So like I can go back to, you know, the injustice against my mom, um, the alcoholism, the dropping out of high school, all that stuff, that self-destructive behaviors for myself that made me angry and uh, then said, okay, I'm gonna go fight for justice. So the so my body led me to get hurt uh, somehow. Well, it just happened, you know, but it was anger that led me to my injury. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was continued self-abuse of narcotics and alcohol that, um, that kept me injured, kept me in that cycle. And it wasn't until I got out by doing yoga and started to heal that I said, okay, well, now I, the light was switched on that it was anger that caused my back injury. Hmm eventually like if you look at the butterfly effect of mm -hmm. what happened over the course of years and years and years and then for a while i just said you know what 
but I should be angry. That was a shitty experience. You know, I deserve to be angry. I mean, there were shitty people in my life that did shitty things to people I love. Um, And then, and like, you know, what's, what's the antidote to anger? You know, here I was just, just, I just asked that. I wrote it in my journal. What, how do I, why am I angry? And I, I think I wrote down like all the reasons why I was angry. And it started back with my mom's rape and the injury and all of this, you know, like, so what's the antidote to that? Well, forgiveness, you know, love is the kind of the opposite of anger. And I was like, well, can I forgive those people? Can you forgive such a crime? You know, can you forgive such a hurt? Who am I to do that? What kind of person would be able to do that? I'm not Gandhi. I'm not like Mother Teresa. You know, I don't have, I, I, I'm, I'm not a very strong Christian person, you know, it, I, as far as my faith and all of that. And then, <laughs> and then something just came in. I still get chills when I think about it. And I'm like, well, who am I not to? Hmm. Like, wait a second. It's hard to forgive. Is it really? And, and who's it for, you know, like my dead mother isn't going to know that I forgave her for some bad choices. The dead boyfriend isn't going to know. I don't know whatever happened to the rapists or the cops, you know, they don't need it. You know, they're just going through their lives. Fine. I need it. And then, and it was like, then it, it was, that's the liberation. That's when you're like, that's how you actually find freedom is by questioning and saying and so, well who who am i who am i not to mm. that's that's pretty profound um i've thought about that that whole idea of forgiveness before and you were saying like who's it for and what came to me one time was that forgiving is for giving as opposed to for getting and when you, when you think about, all right, well, who are you giving to? You're really giving to yourself. You're giving yourself peace by detaching yourself from that story, from your past, from whatever that is, and, and, and relinquishing your power to something that happened to you in the past. Right. So the forgiving is the giving to yourself instead of trying to get something from somebody as if they have the power over you to control your experience. Um, and that was, yeah. that was like a little download that I had that I shared yeah. not too long ago. But Yeah. And then, and then also these, these ghosts from the past, you know, I mean, this is stuff that happened 30 something years ago. Um, you know, how much real estate do they deserve in my head today? Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and do I want that stuff guiding my behavior, my choices and all of that today? I think of it as like a, like a metaphor where if you were, when something shitty like that happens, it's, it's almost like, um, wait, wait a second. Can I stop you? Yeah. When you say shitty, what do you mean? What do you mean by shitty? Uh, it, it like, like you, you're putting a judgment on an event and well, I'm not saying that it's good. Right. But the fact that it led me here and it gave me a level of, forgiveness and compassion and love for everybody. Yes. That's a gift. Yes. Uh, That's a super powerful. So, so like just, so I can't even now, now, right. I can't even look back at that and say it was shitty. Right. 
so, so growth and maturity there that you've been able to look back on it and put it into a different context that allows you to see that it was those things that helped you grow and elevate to a, a, a eventually a better human being. Right. And so, well, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> to be determined. The, um, but so, so something that has come up for me recently, and again, through this work of inquiry and asking questions, is I, I began to ask the question, what turns a tragedy into a triumph? So take, you know, my mom's rape, which is a tragedy. That's an event that happened mm-hmm. you know, when I was... 12 or 13. I can't remember exactly, but um, so that's a tragedy. And then it had some ripples and some, you know, so that set, so we can label it as horrible and it's a tragedy, but now it's led to liberation. So there's time, certainly time is distance that has elapsed between the event but also inquiry and asking those questions allowed tragedy to completely transform mm-hmm. into something that is a net benefit. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can't look at life the same way after seeing that. Yeah. That's, that takes a lot of maturity and a lot of growth um, forgiveness to, to get to that point where you can see that in, in that broader context as an actual gift. I mean, that takes, that that's that victor mindset over victim, you know, constantly blaming. Yeah. Well, and life happens for me, not to me. Yes. Yeah. So, and life, whatever happens is, is great. You know, as, as the old Jocko Willink thing says, you know, his little lecture on good. Good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know. Um, yeah. The, the, the metaphor that was coming up for me though, when you were t- saying that is like, it, it's almost like when those events happened and let's say in the moment, you perceive it to be a shitty thing because mm. having your oh, mother- yeah, yeah. I, at the time I was angry. I think I yes. put my fist through the wall. You know, she had to call the drywall guy over to fix the holes in my bedroom. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, that's brutal. <laughs> you have teenagers. <laughs> it, well, it's, it's almost like um, a stake is being driven into the ground. And it's, and I think sometimes what happens is people tend to, it, the image that I have in my head is it's kind of like there's a, a belt you know, you ever see those uh, those workouts where the person's running with a like a rubber band, and they have a they're either like tied to a stake or maybe yeah. a weight yeah. or something. It's kind of like that in my mind, and and where these different events happen, little stakes in the ground are being driven into the ground, and you're tied to these things if you are allowing them to still stay into your present moment. If you're still angry, you're right. you're literally attached to that story, yeah. and until you do the work to grow, mature, and forgive, and turn around and, and sever those ties yeah. to where you become liberated from yeah. that story. And, th- and then, then I find that at that point, it gives you the ability to go back and reframe in a way that is genuinely profound and powerful. Right. And that's a, that's a great analogy because like, if you are tethered to that event, um, as you explained with the, the, the rubber band and running, it's going to snap you back to it. Exactly. And you won't be able to escape its orbit. Well, and uh, you see, that's what, you see so many people who are exhausted because they're carrying this weight. I, I went to, um, there was a brilliant uh, Broadway performance by Billy Crystal back uh, several years ago called six, I think it was called 600 Sundays or 700 Sundays, something like that. But it was essentially the, the six or 700 Sundays that he had his father in his life. 
And so he experienced 700 Sundays with his father or 600, I think it is. And then his father passed on and he talked about how, Hey, I'm this, I'm this comedian. I'm a famous actor and, and everybody sees me and I'm supposed to make people laugh. And I was, he's like, but what you didn't really realize is I have this huge boulder that I'm rolling uphill. I'm carrying this weight of my father and, and the relationship that they had or didn't have that he wanted, et cetera. And, and how heavy that was until he, you know, learned to, to get out in front of that. Um, it's that, that weight. And you can see how, like, if, if different things happen in somebody's life and they're tethered to these different events, how exhausting that can be. If, mm-hmm. and, but how do you, how do you get beyond that is, is the question that I'd love to help people resolve because it's, it's obviously not serving them. And it's, it's very difficult to say, well, it wasn't a shitty situation. What do you mean? It wasn't a shitty situation. My mother got raped. Like, of course, that's a shitty situation. That's the mentality. And, and to, to have the depth and the perspective to be able to look at that in a new way is, is, uh, is, is life-changing. It really genuinely is life-changing. Yeah. What's interesting is you bring up um, the, the dad issue. So, um, so my parents divorced and a couple years ago, my dad had a, had a big stroke. And you might say, oh, that sucks. <laughs> and the, uh, the interesting thing is, you know, he doesn't give a shit anymore. And his world has gotten really small. So um, the, the blessing there is that when we talk, um, and luckily he can still talk, and he still has uh, some memory, but he associates me with fishing and good times. Um, uh-huh. Not the time when I was 18 and he bailed me out of jail for getting a DUI. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and I said, so dad, you don't remember that? And he's like, no. I'm like, good. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go that one. But, but, there, um, but the, the interesting thing is, is like now he's just so present. And uh. there's something that happens as our parents get older um, that, that you know, we spend so much of our lives trying to please our parents, you know, be a good kid, get the good grades, you know, then you have your family and um, you you buy your house and all of that and you're doing good and hopefully reaching some professional goals that you want. Um, And hopefully they're yours and not your parents, you know? Um, But then um, there's a point when none of that matters anymore. And all that matters is, that you're there for them and that they appreciate seeing you and you appreciate seeing them. It doesn't matter, you know, if they betrayed you or if they hurt you, ah, you know, it's all good. Um, you know, as you said, it's, um, forgiveness, not forgetfulness or, you know, it's, and so it's like, I don't have to forget that certain things happen, but you know, and when I go see my dad now and we talk about fishing and, um, and it's cool, you know. Yeah, what a what a beautiful twist to uh, to just let go of the of all the of all the non fun memories. <laughs> well, well, because you know, <laughs> the 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 point is is that if you don't let go, um, what you hold on to also holds you. Mm-hmm. Um, like just again, I think your rubber band analogy is is pretty great. You know, like if it's holding you back. Um, you're holding on to it. Totally. And Whoa, it's, that I, I got to write that down. If it's holding you back, that's you holding on to it. Yes, it's not, exactly. It's not you. It, nothing's holding you back. Yes, correct. That, other than that your idea, it, that your idea that you're held back 
is holding you back. Yes. One of the things that I talk to my daughter about, cause she'll, sometimes she'll get angry cause her brother does something to push her buttons. And, um, she's, she's a pretty emotional young lady. And so sometimes she'll get really frustrated and irate that, you know, he's doing this and he's bothering me. And so one of the simple metaphors that we talk about is cutting the rope. And I, and I help her understand like her frustration. I said, why he's got all that power over you. Really? Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's controlling you. He's dictating how you're going to live. I said, it's kind of like you have a rope to him and that what he does is affecting you. And I said, so we talked about this metaphor and, and cutting the rope. So sometimes when she's in that moment of emotion and I just look at her and I, I hand motion cutting the rope and it's a trigger for her to go, Oh, I'm creating that. Like I'm adding to this at the very least I'm contributing to my own <laughs> misery. Yeah. I have that. I have that. That's a great one too. I love that. Um, I'm going to have to use that with my wife. Um, we, cause we have arguments um, about, uh, she said something like, you know, I, I would be happy if you, you know, um, like moved the books off the table or something like that. And so, um, so I said, so is your happiness conditional on me moving the books? Yeah. And, and she says, uh, yes. And I said, okay, well, as long as we know that it's conditional and that I'm responsible for your happiness, then okay. You know, yeah. so, um, you could just ask me to move the books, you know, <laughs> But anyway, um, but it's true. We have that, that talk a lot about how, um, how, are you sure? Like I ask her, are you sure? Um, she'll say something like you, it makes me mad uh, when you do this or I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mad when you do this. And I said, so, so I make you mad and your feelings are my responsibility. Okay. Yeah. All right. Are you saying, so uh, I have a reason why I'm asking this, but are you saying that, do you take the responsibility of her feelings? Do you take on that role? I try not to, um, yeah. but sometimes when I, when I don't, um, like depending on s certain factors, um, big arguments can come up. Um, and um, yeah, we've, we've been practicing and, and trying to learn nonviolent communication. Um, are you familiar <laughs> with that? <laughs> oh, well, I, I can... Yeah guess what that means. But I there's, mean, a, there's a book on nonviolent communication um, by, oh gosh, I'm, I'm blanking on the author's name. Um, he was a psychologist that studied with Carl Rogers. Um, and, oh gosh, Mitchell um, Rosenberg or something like that. Rosberg, Rosenberg. Um, and it's really good stuff. It's about... Um, it, it's really about how owning your feelings, being responsible for uh, your observations and communicating in a way um, with less judgment. Um, and I highly recommend it. I don't Marshall have Rosenberg. Yeah. Marshall Rosenberg. Yeah. Um, but yeah, good. Highly recommended. Great for teenagers and kids because um, it teaches uh, how to observe and be responsible for uh, your own feelings and then making asks like asking for what you want, you know, mm -hmm. is that a request? You know, would you be willing to clean the books off the table? Sure. No biggie, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but don't make that dependent on your happiness. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I do think though at some point um, there is a threshold between conditions like that versus genuine needs 
that you want out of a relationship and going into, Hey, these, like, these are my, this is what I'm willing to tolerate. These are the things I'm not willing to tolerate. And those intolerables, i.e. your needs, um, may be something that is necessary for that other person to step into. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, ultimately we're, we're all happy. We're, we're all responsible for our own feelings. Like we're all empowered to choose the meaning that we give things, but there are, if somebody continues to come at you and punches you in the face, you get to say, Hey, that doesn't work for me. If right. that continues, this relationship will cease to, uh, to exist. Well, well, is that a demand or is that a request? A request. That sounds like a demand. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's initially it's a request, right? Yeah. This, this is working. Again, don't hit me in the face. Yeah. Yeah. Right? But, then, but then again, you have the ability to set what you, what you will or will not stand for in your life. Right. Like you just, I don't want to do that. Okay. Right. Like I don't want to stand in line at an amusement park, period. You know, yep. I don't want to go to Costco at um, afternoon on Sundays. <laughs> you know, that's, that's like, I'll go at 11, not afternoon. I, yeah. you know, um, there are things that I just, that I won't, that I won't do. Um, the, um, getting back into nonviolent communication though, um, it's, it's really about and identifying tools that can help you, uh, be more effective with what you want. Uh, so you can, um, work towards the shared outcome. Cause in relationships, a lot of times we have a shared outcome. Like what's the shared outcome, but we had this exact same thing come up yesterday. Um, like I had brought in um, a blanket that my wife had thought the dog laid on and was, she said it was stinky. So she threw it outside and I smelled it out. You know, I thought she had washed it, you know, and hung it out to dry and I brought it in and she just looked at me like, like, <laughs> what are you doing? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I just, I was going to bring this in. The dog wants to sleep on the blanket. And it's like, why are you so defensive? And I'm like, hold on, hold on a second. We have, we were just about to get into a, a little scrap and I'm like, hold on, shared outcome. We both want a peaceful home life. <laughs> you know, let's look at what's going on. We want to have a peaceful, happy home life. Why are we somehow like coming into like with our power struggle? Like, like I see the, I see her eyes and I react like, what the fuck did I do? You know? Yeah. And like, I'm now I'm defensive and like, yeah. whoa, 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 hold on. But keeping in mind that we have a shared outcome, that we want a peaceful home life, that we want to have a tidy home, you know, like these are like what our outcome is. Um, you can do that with your kids. What's the shared outcome? You know? Okay. If you're triggering each other, why is that? And is it, um, is it, is it a real trigger or is there something else underlying? Like, or did we forget our shared outcome? Why are we coming in with like a, a judgment and anger or resentment or defensiveness? And there's other factors that come in. Well, you know, I'm just upset because my friend, you know, stopped being friends with me at school. And they're like, okay, well, that's a filter that we bring into it. Um, but just keep in mind that, I might not know about all these other filters that you have at right. the moment. So right. let's talk. Uh, that's really powerful. The shared outcome and re a defining that in the first place, having enough yeah. awareness to say, let's, let's create some space to actually define what that shared outcome actually tangibly looks like. Number one. And then number two, in the heat of the moment, being able to pause, push the pause button and go, wait, 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 and take a step back. That's super effective. I'd imagine. 
Yeah, yeah. No. Well, if you're aware of it, sometimes exactly. It's the thing is because we get we get triggered and then we're in reaction and we don't we don't have the 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 wherewithal to 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 uh, to claim that. Um, you obviously have gotten uh, way into yoga. You've expressed that a little bit already. You shared a little bit of that story. Um, but you tell me a little bit about the product that you created and how that's impacting others and and not just the product, but your whole uh, yogic practice. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, let me get into, I, we talked, we touched on yoga and how I got into it. Um, mainly as the referral to rehab my injury. Um, since, you know, the, I practice yoga to, as an access to create vitality, power and freedom in my life. Um, and vitality is just that feeling of being alive. There are a lot of practices within yoga that, um, such as controlling your breathing, which can directly change or affect your mood. Um, if you last couple of years, there have been some, some talks on like Mark Devine from seal fit has talked about, um, box breathing or tactical breathing where you breathe in a pattern that like inhale, pause for four seconds, exhale, pause for four seconds and how that can be a calming pattern. Mm -hmm. uh, there are different breathing patterns that you can employ to improve your sleep and restfulness um, or to improve your energy and concentration. Um, so there's the breathing aspect of it, which can, um, one of the things that I came to learn. So when I started yoga, I was 274 pounds, about 30% body fat. Yeah. Um, so needless to say, um, I had a lot of weight to lose or release. Um, and part of that was due to stress. Part of that was certainly due to overeating and not moving around enough, mm. but yoga, um, and particularly the breathing patterns that we learn in yoga, uh, can help regulate the stress hormone cortisol, um, which, uh, if you've studied a little bit about cortisol, it's got a strong link to, um, if your cortisol levels are high, it help it, it causes your body to be in that fight or flight response level. And when you're scared or in that fight or flight response, your body holds on to weight because it's like thinking, Oh, I don't know when I'm going to get my next meal. Hmm. And that's like a chronic stress pattern. It can happen because of, um, drinking too much caffeine, you know, you're, you get adrenal fatigue, which is also related to um, high stress levels. Hmm. So by regulating um, breathing and then cortisol, like the body fat just melted off me, you know? Wow. Um, that's fascinating. So just the, you're telling your body to just relax. We're not in fight or flight. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Let go. Yeah. We don't need the reserves. Yeah. And then, and then, so that's now accessible, accessible to me all the time. So now I'm at a fairly optimal body composition, um, which, you know, for being 48 and healthy, got a resting pulse in the low forties, you know, I feel great. Um, I have good mobility. My joints don't ache. Um, I do lift weights. I can run, I can swim, I can hike, I can, you know. It's really just, that's the kind of freedom that I, that I want in my life to move and to feel good in my body. Um, and really, like, I see my dad, you know, he's 82. Um, he shuffles down the street very slowly. He's hunched over and in constant pain in his shoulders and his elbows. It just, everything hurts. And I think there's a better way. Um, I think yoga is the tool, the practice that 
maintains optimal health, that improves your posture, improves your energy, um, and it'll prevent you from dying slowly, hunched over and in pain. Like mm -hmm. if you see those people, you know, that, oh, it's just like, it's not necessary. Um, yeah, so to, um, so that's why yoga is, is my go-to practice. I've been practicing for 12 years. I've been teaching for about six now. Um, and I got into teaching not because I thought the world needs another yoga teacher. I got in because I noticed that, that in the yoga environment, um, in the United States, about 70% of yoga practitioners are women. And so if you go to any yoga studio, it's going to be 70% women. I'm not saying that that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's just happens to be um, the trend and how it caught hold in America. If you go to India, it's the exact opposite, about 95% men. Hmm. Um, and women were barred from it for... Um, until it kind of came over to the West and the West kind of re-exported it back over to India with sending all these women who want to go, go back to the root, uh, the root source of it. So, um, but I believe it's a healing practice that we all need more of. Um, certainly, if you look at the waistlines of America and the obesity epidemic, um, we've got a lot of stressed out people who eat too much and don't move enough. Mm -hmm. um, Certainly a lot of people are taking drugs for anti-inflammation. Yoga has been shown to reduce inflammation in the body. Um, a lot of studies showing that. That's why every single cancer center in the United States offers yoga as a complementary therapy. Mm -hmm. And so like, why, why wait until you're in, in cancer therapy, you know, in, in the cancer center to do yoga? Why not? keep your, your circulation optimum, keeps your joints healthy, keep your endocrine system healthy um, by practicing now. That's, that's my, my belief in it. Um, and then when I started yoga, I borrowed my girlfriend at the time, you know, her little tiny yoga mat. I think it was pink. And um, it's probably about as wide as this photo, you know? <laughs> so like I kind of would go off of the mat. You spilled over the mat. Yeah. And, um, and in, over the course of my practice, I've tried lots and lots of different yoga mats. Um, some are too slippery. Some are not wide enough. Some are too short. You know, it's kind of like that, that was the, the big bad wolf and the three pigs, you know, mm -hmm. trying scoldy locks and three locks. Yeah. There, I don't too know. Too cold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too hot, too cold, or this bed's just right. You know? Um, and, so I created a yoga mat that's a little bit wider, a little bit longer, um, that has no endocrine disrupting chemicals in its composition. Um, Why is that important? Uh, because when you're laying on a mat, especially skin to mat uh, in sweat, you know, chemicals can be transferred from plastics into your body. Mm. Um, and like if, if you drink from a water bottle and it says BPA free, um, BPA is a product that's used in a lot of um, or it's a chemical used in a lot of plastic products, um, including PVC, um, that um, can disrupt your endocrine system. Um, and there are, some, there are components or, or chemical components called xenoestrogens, um, which, um, which BPA and I don't know the names of all the chemicals, phthalates, 
phthalates, P-H-A-L-A-T-E-S, um, they can get into your, your system and mimic estrogen in your body, um, causing the general endocrine hormonal system to go out of whack. Really, plastic exposure is a big one um, and because so many plastics carry these compounds in them. Um, so it's uh, EDC-free, endo endocrine-disrupting chemical-free. Um, it's a natural rubber mat with a polyurethane top, super mm. durable, super sticky, and uh, it's called Combat Mat. And um, I sell them at combatmat.com, and uh, that helps me uh, continue to support veteran charities. Um, and continue to teach. So, uh, I love that. Not to get too far off on a tangent, but the the chemical thing is is really fascinating because they've done tons of studies that um, the the overall testosterone levels in men has dropped significantly over the last couple of decades, and they aren't entirely sure exactly why, as far as I understand it. But it's my belief that plastic has definitely something to do with it because everything we consume is almost con uh, almost everything we consume is contained yeah. in plastics it's contained in plastic wrapped in plastic you drink out of plastic um yeah big uh, a couple of big things to avoid in general from what i've read the research that i've done um don't reheat things in plastic if you can avoid it so if right. you have a pyrex or glass um food saver type stuff for your leftovers use that instead of like a plastic tupperware type device um yeah, and um, I just drink out of glass or stainless steel. Um, you know, I don't drink a whole lot of uh, single-use plastic water bottles. I, it just doesn't resonate with me. I had uh, Dr. Leonard Sachs on my podcast a little while ago. He's the author of several books, uh, um, one of them which is called, uh, which you may know about, um, oh, shoot, I'm sorry, I'm slipping my mind about boys, something about, Ah, doggone it, I forgot it. But he 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 himself has done extensive research into this uh, area, and he has basically come to the conclusion that, yeah, plastics is absolutely affecting the testosterone levels in boys and men. And he's like, I have mountains of data to show you how uh, water directly out of the faucet is far better for you, for especially for men, um, because of that. And so, yeah I, yeah, I have glass bottles now that we use yeah. to fill up. I just read something like water. that. It, it said, yeah, it was the same thing. It said that, that water from your tap is, unless you're in Flint, Michigan, is <laughs> healthier than, than, I think it was something like, um, it was several hundred brands of, of bottled water that were tested. Right. <laughs> I was just like, whoa, you know. Crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. So, how is, uh, so how's Combat Matt doing? Is that, it's doing uh, great. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I, I market it online via combatmat.com. Um, so it's a mail order or, you know, online business. Um, and, um, you know, sales are steady. Uh, I've got a few dedicated users out in the world that, um, that post and tag and, and uh, kind of find the influencer marketing for that. Um, it's been good. Um, yeah. Is it thicker than the traditional... It's a, so the thing with thickness, it really depends on density. Uh, so it's about four and a half millimeters. Um, that's kind of the sweet spot between giving enough padding to be comfortable, but not so much that it's squishy and loses your balance. Because mm -hmm. if, if a mat is too thick and squishy, it, it can cause problems with the joints by you lose causing your structure. 
yeah, extra motion. And then depending on the density of the padding, um, if it's too dense, it just becomes too heavy, you know? So, um, yeah, so there's, so I tested probably, uh, I, I tested, I think 15 mats and suppliers from, you know, cheap to all the way up to the top. And this is the one that I found to be the best. Awesome. I love that. I love the innovation and the entrepreneurship to just go create what, you know, what's missing in your life. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's a, to, to, the idea of create what you want, you know, let's, let's do some uh, self-constructive behavior, man. Um, that I think that's really missing for a lot of us is that we don't live our lives with intention and, and creating the life that we want the day that we want and getting really specific and detailed about it. You know, what kind of people are we connecting with? Um, what kind of person uh, am I when, you know, when something bad happens, am I a rock? Um, or am I a compassionate ear that can listen and then turn something uh, tragic into something triumphant? Mm -hmm. um, and what is it that we create from the space to, you know, who we are, the tribe and the vibe we attract? Um, I think that that's a good question of, what are the self um, the self constructive behaviors I'm going to do, and then get ask it you know like ask those questions. What do I want my day to look like? You know, like do you know what your perfect day is, Peter King? Uh, I have I I have uh, elements of that. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Does and it, does it include art? It does. Yes. Yeah. And then does that art like is it the process of creating art like that having that hour to I don't know, whatever time block is meaningful for that, you know, that expression to be, um, you know, is there, is there an attachment to the outcome or is the fact that you created the time to sit there and with your medium and, and create, you know? Yes. Yes. It's the latter. Yeah. The, 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 the flow and the creation, uh, the manifestation of something that, was initially just a floating idea in your head to if, if even that, cause some of the stuff I'm doing right now is very abstract. So yeah. it's part of the reason why I'm choosing, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called acrylic pouring and it's, you're literally pouring paint on canvas and then you're shifting the canvas around and what sort of blossoms literally in front of you is these uh, creations on its own. And you can kind of manipulate it by steering it in a particular direction, but it really is like witnessing nature unfolding right in front of your eyes. So that there, it's a really, um, it's a letting go process for me and it, and to bear witness to it is pretty freaking cool. I've done yeah. it a few times now, but yeah, it sounds meditative too. Super meditative. That's yeah. another reason why I wanted to do it is just a detaching from my damn phone uh, getting out of the routine of, of life. Um, and yeah. And, and bringing more of that, uh, feel, you know, part of, part of my, um, I don't know what you'd call it. Like I, I so I'm, as I told you earlier, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri right now. And there's a part of me that just definitely desires to be around water an ocean. Right. And I'll go, I used to live in on the coast of Florida and it was so inspiring for me and it never got old. I remember first moving down there. I was like, I wonder if this will ever get old. You know, I wonder if this will be routine or, and I remember, you know, like the month before we moved after being there for several years, I'm like, no, it never got old. like every time I went there, I'm like, I just, this, this is my element. And living in St. Louis, which is where my family was from originally, 
uh, it's not there. And, yeah. and for a while I tried to like resist it and be like, all right, this is where I'm at. I'm going to be happy here. And then it <laughs> just got to the point, especially after visiting a few times where I'm like, I, I can't deny how much, how obvious it is, how much more inspired and energetic I am when I'm around this environment. So, but my kids are here, we've got roots here. And I was thinking through like, all right, well, how do I, I I'm not going to, I'm not going to move uh, right now anyway. So how do I bring that element, those emotions, the, the feeling that I'm wanting into my space here. And, and, and it kind of just, as I was watching YouTube one night, as I was drifting out to sleep, uh, this, I can't remember how, but the video came up of somebody doing this acrylic pour and I was mesmerized by it. And I was like, I am so doing that. And so in a way, like that's kind of my, my connection to, to the divine, to art, to, you know, the oceanic, Cool. Feeling, yeah, I thought you were going to say you were watching YouTube and you saw some guy um, bringing, bringing truckloads of sand into his basement and creating a beach downstairs. I'm like, that's an option. I, I am not beyond that. I'm, I may consider that. I mean, I'm... Yeah. The, you know, and, and just to contrast that, you know, like I've lived here for 20 years and, and I would go to the beach literally and say, you know, like, not that I'm tired of the beach, but like, fuck, I got sand everywhere. I got to clean up the sand. You know, like I am tired of the sand and I was tired of the tar, you know, and, and, um, but looking at it in a different way is like, for me, now I can go out there and I can swim. I can do, I can, and, and it's a totally different environment to, for me to be in the water yeah. um, and like surrounded by nature versus then for me to be looking at it. Yeah. And that was what was that was what was lacking for me. It's like, I'm looking at it, but then again, you know, it's like the, um, you know, it's like the, the, the person longing for something that they don't have access to anymore. Mm -hmm. And the truth is I had access, mm. you know, I just didn't open the door. And I think mm. that's one of the, the big lessons for all of us is that the access is always there if we look for it and we stay curious about ways to get the access, the ways Absolutely. to walk through it. Because like, hey, freedom is there. You know, there, if you look at it, you know, if you've, if you've read um, Frankel's Search for Meeting, yeah. the, um, the, the, there are some people that are in prison um, but have free minds. You know, there are some people who have, I, I know a few people who have done long stretches of time in a joint and who come out fluent in many languages um, hmm. and who have read thousands of books and studied a couple of books really deeply and they come out transformed. Whereas some people are just doing time. And again, we all have that same freedom of choosing what our mind focuses on, how we want to transform it. And we're all free if we choose to be, Yeah, you know, and, and like, you know, I don't, that's not to say that I love everything and everybody in my life. Right. Um, but I'm, I'm totally free to accept everybody for what they are, who they are and what they're not, you right. know, yeah. like, like, you know, I don't have to want my dad to be anything other than he is. And I'm just glad he wants to sit on the dock and fish with me and not catch anything, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. What's, uh, what, what's the impact that you hope to make on people that come in your circle of influence? 
I want to show people that by showing up, whether it be on your mat or by walking every day, finding, finding your fix, finding a physical fix, um, that you don't have to die slowly hunched over and in pain, um, that you're free. And it's your choice. Hmm. I love that. I, I, um, I got into functional fitness earlier this year and, uh, which involves a lot more stretching and, and yoga, um, positions and whatnot. And I got out of bed after, so after doing this for 45, maybe 60 days, I got out of, well, maybe not quite that long, even just 30 days. I got out of bed one morning and I realized that I conditionally got out of bed with a expectation that I'm going to be sore. Like just cause I had been kind of tight for so long. So when I got out of bed, I, I immediately was sort of bracing myself and I realized, Oh, wait a second. I feel great. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it occurred to me, flexibility is a choice. Mm-hmm. Whereas I used to think, you know, if you get tight or whatever, it's like, what are you going to do? And, and, or if you're sore, if you're, if your joints hurt and, you know, I've dealt with that a little bit too, all of that's a choice. And I just didn't realize it was right there. Like you said, the, the freedom is there. We just have to know where to look, what questions to ask. Uh, and at the very least stay curious. Yeah. Well, and, and that's not to say like, I don't get sore, you know, of like, course. you know, it, it's, it's weird. There's always going to be like, a joint pain that comes up, you know, like the other day I woke up and my elbows hurt like hell. And I don't know why, you know, like I kind of remember sleeping on them and being aware of, of it somehow, but my elbows were really sore. So I Google, you know, elbow and knee joint pain. And next thing I know, it's like, it, it's lupus. I've got lupus and an autoimmune disease that affects the joints. And I'm like, no, I don't have lupus. But like, like just because I do yoga doesn't mean that I don't have aches and pains. Sure. Um, but it's staying through a practice to have the awareness to keep yourself moving. One of the things that makes us stuck or, and eventually stiffens us is that we get scared of movement and that we guard against it. And that was a big problem with my back injury is that, you know, the, they tell you, don't bend, don't carry 10 pounds or more, you know, do as little as possible. And we get scared and then our body tightens up and, and gets bound by that fear, by that lack of movement. And then we lose all of that suppleness, all of that lubrication that happens when we're, sp- when we're moving freely like we should be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's a, I think that's a, a disservice that a lot of doctors and orthopedists do um, is that they, that they try to immobilize um, yeah. when uh, light movement can be really healthy. Um, I, I think I had read, did you, when you had dealt with your injury, did you uh, deal with opioids and an and addiction to that? Oh, big time. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. I, I thought so. I didn't want to <laughs> put that on you if you didn't. Um, well, walk me through that if you would really quickly, because I find that to be scary because I, I know it's kind of an epidemic right now, but also fascinating how you were able to, to let go of that. So here's the thing. Um, you know, pain management is an interesting animal. You know, they, they, when, when you're in pain, doctors want to help, right? And a lot of, and I don't know if the, the now, and now they're scared to help. Like now they're scared to um, prescribe a, a narcotic because of its addictive properties and the abuse that 
I mean, it's a it's a horrible. There's there are horrible crimes somewhere in this in this country, and I think I just heard that um, Purdue Pharma got fined something like between eight and ten billion dollars um, to the localities that sued um, for the opiate crisis. You know, and and like that's just one of the players. You know. Um, so there's definitely some criminal things that happen, but um, really, I just, at the time, I just wanted to be out of pain, you know? Um, and then, but what happens with pain is the more you numb it, the worse it gets. Um, and it kind of attenuates. Um, and so it takes a bigger dose of the drug to get the pain that's spiking down to what we would call a manageable level. Mm. Um, next thing I know, I'm, you know, I'm chewing Percocet and morphine sulfate. Um, just, hmm, okay, hopefully that'll knock the pain down. Um, for me, it was weird. Um, when I went to yoga, uh, like I said, within a month, I'd, I'd started to cut my painkiller use down. Within two months, I was down 50%. Within three months, I was off of it completely. I had no withdrawals. All through the practice of yoga. I just didn't need it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. It's just somehow started to heal. I, I, um, so when, I, when you were still taking the drugs, were, was it because you were um, managing your pain or has the pain gone to, away and you were still? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd attempt, I was attempting to manage my pain. Um, yeah. Um, I, I thought I needed them. Um, and eventually, but I knew I wanted to get off of it, you know, cause I mean, I, like when, again, who we talked about it, like in the, in the context of, of, of the rope, <laughs> you know, like that rope had me and I would, be, I would think like, when can I get another, you know, like when can I get another? Um, and it certainly, had me and I, I certainly knew that it was not the way that I wanted to be because uh, there are a lot of other problems with it that come with opiate uh, abuse or addiction you know it's like you get constipated that means your bowels are not moving you're stuck um, certainly affects sexual function um, you know I mean you're numb <laughs> can't feel anything mm. can't think um, and um yeah, so it's just not a good way to be. I don't think anybody that's using them wants to really be using them. They, I mean, we'd rather be pain-free. For me, it just began to, as, as yoga began to help my muscles release their grip, um, you know, like where I was bound and stiff, mm -hmm. um, it also worked on the subtle energies like where the addiction had its grip. Um, and that kind that gentle push pull if you will that gentle push pull um eventually helped bring me to a point where my body was able to heal itself to a large degree and, yeah. and that's what i think most medicines and most healers want to do is they want to help us um get the things that are in the way of healing out of the way so, for example, inflammation, we're, we're learning, is the cause of a lot of diseases. Um, it's at the root of a lot of diseases. That's why anti-inflammatories are big medicine, right? Well, again, yoga can be a practice through, through stress relief, through breathing, through the gentle push-pull, 
that re- that increases the circulation and allows inflammation to, to go down. Hmm. And again, in doing that, you know, at the same time, to be fair, I probably began um, being a little more conscious of, of my diet, drinking less alcohol, eating less pizza, <laughs> you know, things that are, that are big in inflammation um, in the diet. What do you, what, what, what is your diet look like now? Um, rice, vegetables, meat, um, fish, poultry, meat, you know, a lot of vegetables. I drink a green smoothie every day, um, have for a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I do see a doctor of oriental medicine for regular acupuncture and she's also an Ayurvedic, um, um, health counselor or Ayurvedic doc- doctor, which is an Indian form of holistic medicine using food to balance your energies. Mm-hmm. Um, so based on certain factors, um, there's an Ayurvedic diet that can increase uh, or decrease certain from personality attributes to like body type functions. Hmm. So depending on like if you're, you know, like if you have a tendency to have a, a hot um, type in, in Ayurveda, which is called a dosha, they might prescribe more cooling foods like cucumbers, right? Mm. Um, or if you have a very wet um, dosha, then you might have something that would be drying, you know, like maybe breads and wheat, you know. Um, so it just kind of depends. It's very, it's prescribed. So, yeah. Yeah, my, I, I feel like my dosha is very wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's Pretty like... Sure. Yeah, there's, there's in, in the Ayurvedic term, it's, it's pitta, kapha, vata. Um, kapha is kind of slow, uh, thick, um, which you would kind of um, perceive as like, um, like a, a thick, round, um, not very fast-moving person. Uh, vata would be like Iggy Pop, you know, where he's just like very fast and thin and wiry. And pitta is kind of like... A, um, in between, you know, um, like, uh, Larry Hagner's, a uh, uh, Pitta, um, <laughs> shout out to Larry. Yeah. Yeah. Pro- probably our friend. Um, yeah. Ryan Mickler, I'd, I'd put him as a Pitta, which is, okay. I mean, it's just like kind of a balanced, um, yeah. And there's different ways you would eat according to your dosha. Uh, that's very interesting. I feel like we could go on a whole nother. That's a, I'm not, that's not my specialty. I know a little bit and I do what my doctor tells me. Yeah. My, my woo woo West coast, Santa Barbara, <laughs> yeah, Ayurvedic doctor of oriental medicine doctor. You know, I don't know yeah. if the Midwest is ready for this stuff. Well, the Midwest uh, cure to everything is, is it deep fried? Have you tried, have you tried to deep fry it? Cause I bet you if you deep fry it, <laughs> your dosha would be so. <laughs> yeah. That would cough my, cough my dosha right up. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, oh man, Dave, this has been a great conversation. Um, where, if people are interested to, of course we know about the combatmat.com, but, um, for some of the, uh, for somebody who's local or who may want to reach out to you, where can they go? Yeah. At David Ratchford everywhere. So it's at David Ratchford on Instagram at David Ratchford on Twitter. You can find me on Facebook, um, or at David What a luxury to have all of your social media handles. <laughs> yeah, Peter King, 54627. <laughs> so many other Peter Kings I'm, I'm competing against. It's actually, you know what? I was, I was the first to, to Twitter. So I have Peter King, the, the Peter King handle on Twitter. And it's so nice. funny. 
I get so much hate tweets for there's a congressman, a Republican congressman in New York named Peter King. Ah. He'll say something and all of a sudden I'll get a ton of tweets from liberals and lefties going, you <laughs> whatever. And then there's a sports illustrated writer, Peter King, and he'll say that the oh, Eagles yeah. are going to win it all this year and I'll get all this, you know, Raider <laughs> hate fan stuff. So it's pretty fun. And then of course I, I have to tweet back and play the game a little bit. All right. Well, Peter, the peak King. Yeah. love it. It's been really fun. All right, brother. Appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, thank you.